Hello, I'm Carrie Ann. Welcome to another service with Pastor Ray Dieter at Grace Baptist Church. Please check out our website, gbcevansville.org. There, you'll find videos of our youth and children's services, daily devotions, and other ministries our church has to offer. We invite you to join us on Sunday mornings for an in-person service where we'll practice social distancing and follow safety guidelines. Now, let's hear what Pastor Ray has to say. Pastor and his wife and uh, their son is very active. He's uh, probably uh, 20 years old at, uh, by now. He was a teenager then. And uh, we went to that church on, Sunday, on Saturday night. They all work in the service industry. They work in hotels. A lot of them work at the airport handling baggage and things. And the best time for them to come together when they can all be there is on Saturday night. So they have their worship on Saturday night. They start with a meal. Then they have a Bible study and sermon, we would call it. And their services can go six, seven hours. And uh, we, they were very excited the night we were there because the pastor's son had brought a friend that he had met at the school for the deaf. And this young man had never been there before, had no exposure to Christianity, and they were all excited for him to be there. And I watched him as the service went on and as they signed, and he was paying close, close attention, but he had a look of absolutely confusion on his face. And so when the service was... Uh, uh, about the midway point, they take a break, and the pastor asked him, he signed to him, he said, how do you like our service? And the young man signed back, and he said, I am totally, completely confused. I have no idea what's going on. They were studying the passage in the Bible where Jesus talks about throwing your pearls before pigs, you know that passage. And the young man says, you're talking about pearls, and you're talking about pigs, and I have no idea what this is all about. Now, I say that to bring us to this point. As we are celebrating our 100th anniversary, our passage for that is from Philippians 3. And we have been talking about that, that we have been here 100 years and we want to be here another 100 years or until Jesus comes. And it dawned on me Monday morning as I sit in my office, there might be some folks listening on the internet, there might be some new folks, there might be some recently baptized Christians here who say, what in the world is he talking about when he talks about when Jesus comes? So I want us to go back to our passage that we are uh, using for the 100th anniversary to the third chapter of Philippians. Last week we talked about Paul saying, forget the past, uh, look to the future. And, and, and I want to drop down to the 20th and 20 verse, verses of that same chapter. Here's what Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the work by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now that's a brief two verses, but there is a lot packed in there. There's a lot of theology, there's a lot of truth, there's a lot of guidance in those two verses because Paul is talking about the second return of Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand that, that this, when we talk about that, we are referring to the next great biblical event. All right? Uh, there are a lot of great, great events in the, in the Bible. The delivery of the children of Israel out of Egypt, 
the bondage period in Babylon and the return when Nehemiah and Ezra and the coming of John the Baptist to pave the way for Jesus Christ. A lot of great biblical events. But the last great biblical event to take place was Jesus Christ's death upon Calvary, that we might have our sins forgiven, His burial, His resurrection, which overcame death, and His ascension. And the next thing that's going to happen is the return of Christ, the second coming. It, is, it will be literal. Uh, when the Bible talks about it, it is not talking in, in metaphoric terms. It's not talking in, in any kind of term other than the fact it's something that is really, really going to happen literally. It, it, it is a, a visible event. The Scripture says we shall see Him. It is a physical event. He will return in His new resurrected glorious body. And so we need to understand that when we talk about serving till Jesus comes, we are looking forward to that day when He returns, but we are busy in the meantime serving Him and glorifying Him. So there's th three things I want us to know about that and make sure we understand them. Uh, first of all, it is a certainty. It is a certainty that Christ will return. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Terminator. I don't know why. But have you ever seen that? Arnold Schwarzenegger goes in that police station and he says, I'll be back. And then a little bit, he crashes right into the front of the station in a car. You know, here, here he comes. It, it was certain he was coming back. In that movie, when you see that, and he says, I'll be back, you know he's going to be back. Well, Jesus said, he will be back. He will return to earth that we might know him that we might glorify Him. The best passage for that is John 14. If you've ever been to a Baptist funeral, uh, you've probably heard that passage about every Baptist funeral you go to that's quoted because it is Jesus giving assurance of that event. He's, he tells His disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in Me. He said, in My house, uh, Father's house, are many mansions, and I go to make a place ready for you that when I come again, I might receive you to Myself that where I am, you might be. That's a promise from Him that He's coming back for those who belong to Him. That's the church, the born-again believers in Jesus Christ, those who have the Holy Spirit indwelt with them because they have given their life to Jesus Christ and accepted Him into their heart. And so, you need to understand, you read the prophecies of Jesus as you read the Gospels, and time and time again, the things he said came true. He said, They're going to, I'm going to be betrayed. He was. I'm going to be taken before the magistrates and unjustly judged, and he was. I'm going to be nailed to a cross, and, and he was. I'm going to die, and he did. I'm going to raise, be raised in three days, and he was. There's a very simple test of a prophet. The Scripture is full of prophets. You know what the simple test of a prophet is? What he says comes true. That's simple. If what he says doesn't happen, then he's not a prophet. He's a false prophet. He's giving false teachings. But Jesus, time and time again, foresaw and told the disciples and his followers, here's what's next. Here's what's going to happen. I must go to Jerusalem. I can't die away from Jerusalem. And he told that time and time again. So we have no reason not to believe him when he says to his children, I'm coming back, and I'm coming for you. 
and it's going to be visible, and it's going to be literal, and it's going to be physical. If, if you want to move beyond that, you can go to Acts, uh, the first chapter of Acts. Uh, uh, you know, after Jesus' resurrection, they were a little confused among the disciples about what comes next. So we pick it up in Acts 1. This is Jesus, the first verse speaking. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He said, Here, here's what's going to happen. You go back to Jerusalem, you're going to be given power through the power of the Holy, Holy Spirit that comes into the life of every believer, and then you're going to be my witnesses in the world. And it, it goes on. Now, when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud, received into in heaven out of their sight. So he immediately ascended. And while they looked steadfast toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, angels of course, who said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in a like manner as you saw him go up in, into heaven. He says, why are you standing there? Why, just, uh, where'd he go? And I don't see him anymore. There's class. He said, you need, you need to get about busy about what he said to do. He said, go back to Jerusalem, get in dealt with, dwell with the Holy Spirit, and go and be witnesses to him. And remember this, he's coming back. And it's going to be the same way he left. He ascended, and he will descend. He will come again. Um, in Mark 13, uh, Jesus talked about this. And here's what he says. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. We talked a minute ago about false prophets, all right? Well, there's the best way to spot a false prophet if he starts telling you, the world's going to end on June 13th, 2023. He is absolutely, positively a false prophet. Jesus said in this verse, the angels don't know when this event's going to take place. And this is a shocker. He said, I don't know when this event's going to take place. Only God the Father knows. See, the return is certain, but the timing is uncertain. Uh, he said, take heed and watch and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowning of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what shall I say to you? I shall say to all, watch. Let me, let me give you a clue why only God knows, all right? How many of you have ever written a term paper in high school or college? Huh? Okay, it was due on, say it was due on the 10th. When did you write it? <laughs> on the 9th, yeah, somebody over here is real honest. We have a tendency to put things off, don't we? But, you know, well, I'll just, I'll do that tomorrow. Well, tomorrow comes and we'll say, well, I can do that tomorrow. Well, the next day, if we knew the hour, 
We wouldn't be doing nothing until the midnight hour right before it happened. God said, Jesus says, here's the way I want you to handle this. I want you to act <clears throat> like it's going to happen today, this very day. And that way you'll be busy about the work of the kingdom of God. You'll be watching, he says. You'll be praying. You'll be working towards the kingdom of God. So at any moment it can happen. So be diligent and be prepared. And he uses a great example. He said this household uh, master went away. And he never told them when he was coming back because he knew his servants would keep busy if they knew at any moment he might walk through that door. So it, it, it's a certainty, and it has a, an unknown time of when it's going to happen. But it has, stick with me here, the time is unknown, but there is a set order of doing things. All right? It... Uh, my oldest son's here this morning. He's a mechanic, and he'll tell you that if you're, say, you're, uh, he's got a wheel bearing out on, on his Suburban, there's a certain pattern that he takes off something. He will do that to do that work. He has to do it in a certain order. He has a part. He has to take the old part out. He has to do some adjustment. He has to do certain things. I should let him tell you that because I don't know that much about it, but I know he has to do it in a certain order to make it work right. And... and uh, the, we are speaking here about a set order of the return of Jesus Christ. And it comes in, in stages, I guess we would say. The first thing is the rapture. That's followed by the seven-year tribulation, which is followed by the complete revelation of Jesus Christ and His final glory. So, uh, when we talk about, as the church till Jesus comes, we are talking about the rapture. We are talking about when he comes and he takes his children with him. If you go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 45, uh, I'm going to drop down to 51 in essence of time. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. We'll talk about that a little more in a minute. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption, and mortal has put on immortality, shall be brought to pass the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. So Paul says to them, listen, uh, God's going to come first for those who belong to him. And we'll talk about that in just a moment, the reason for that. And we call that the rapture. Now, you're not going to find the word rapture in the English Bible. It comes from the Latin, uh, Latin word. Uh, it, uh, I'm not good. Joanne had seven years of Latin. I had three. Rapio. It means to snatch away. It means to literally reach and grab and pull something out of it where it exists to a completely different place. It means to take something out of the environment that it is used to and put it in a new and complete and different environment. And so what we're talking about when we talk about the rapture is the removal of the church and the Holy Spirit from earth, snatched away. Uh, 
We'll get to that in a moment, but Jesus in the rapture doesn't actually set foot on earth. He comes in the sky. If you go to uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, I've got to go the other direction. Here's what Paul wrote. They were having trouble at Thessalonica because they thought Jesus was going to come before they all died. And some of them were dying and they, they couldn't figure it out. And they said, how come these people were dying? We thought he was coming back tomorrow. Uh, Here's what he says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For that means dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall raise first, rise first. So here, Jesus comes back. There's a loud noise. There's a trumpet. Here he comes. Dead people become popping up out of the grave like a toaster. <laughs> you know, just like a Pop-Tart, man. Woo! And he's bringing with them their spirit. And now that spirit is rejoined with a resurrected body. <laughs> I'm looking so forward to that, I'm going to be good looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but what, yeah but no, you'll all know who I am. Uh, I lost my place, didn't I? Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together within the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. He says, so he brings the dead in Christ's spirit with him. He resurrects their body. He rejoins them to their body, and then he takes the rest of the church that's still alive. And somehow in that marvelous transition, as we're going up to see him and join with him in heaven, our body is changed forever. And we're going to get to that in a moment. And so he said, and I love this next verse. He says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. The, the, the words are, in the end, Christ will triumph. Uh, he will be victorious. So, also, uh, Paul talks in Thessalonians, uh, and, and he talks about the lawless generation, uh, and, and, and he talks about the fact that when the Spirit in us leaves, when we leave, the Holy Spirit goes with us because He is indwelled in the believers. So the world is left without Him. He says uh, in uh, that time of lawlessness, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the world. He said the Holy Spirit's active here. Listen, this world's a lousy, rotten, bad place. It is, I'm telling you. I don't know if you saw the video this week. That guy just punched a guy for no reason at all other than maybe race in New York City. This is a, a lost and dying world. But it would be worse if the Holy Spirit wasn't here in the life of believers. We are the salt and the light in the midst of a world that is in decay, and next Sunday we're going to talk about that. Uh, but but uh, when the church leaves, the Scripture says the Spirit leaves. And we'll talk about what follows that. But I want us to go back to Philippians 3. But we're going to do a little bit in reverse order. Look at verse 21 who will transform your lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the works by which he is able even to subdue all things. 
two words there. Uh, the first one, he says, who will transform. That in Greek is a word which means external change without losing individuality. Think of a caterpillar. What does a caterpillar change into? It changes into a butterfly. It is a complete external change. If you don't know, you would look at a, caterp a, a caterpillar that hadn't changed yet, and you would look at the butterfly, and you, say, you would say, well, those two things have nothing to do with each other. They're totally different. You see, in Corinthians, that passage you read, he talks about the body, body corruptible and mortal. We grow old. Hey, I got a, I got a hand that's got arthritis, and sometimes at night it keeps me awake. Ten years ago, it didn't do that. I hate to think what's going to happen to the other hand in the next ten years. You know, we just want to wear out. That's corruptible. But the body we have with Him in glory is incorruptible because it's designed for eternity. So you're not going to lose hair. You're not going to need glasses. You're not going to walk with a limp. You're not going to have any of those problems because you're going to be eternal in Christ Jesus. And that is incorruptible. He, he says it just won't change. It will be glorious forever. And the amazing thing is, we're going to know each other. His disciples knew him. Uh, I, I don't know how that works. That's a God thing. But it is a marvelous thing. But then he goes on, and after the word transformed, he uses the word conformed. And in English, we almost think he, they're talking about the same thing, but it's a different word in Greek. The conformed doesn't mean an external change, like the caterpillar to the butterfly. It means an internal change. Perfection. Amen. We are perfected in Christ Jesus. Listen, I'm going to tell you something that's not a secret, I hope. Even those of us who are saved have a tendency to, to still sin. You know, I... I Greatest example of that is we tell little white lies because we think it'll be easier for people when the truth is always best. Sometimes it's painful. Christ said to speak the truth, or Paul said to speak the truth in love. But uh, we battle that. Uh, and if you're not battling it, and Satan's leaving you alone, you need to ask yourself, how come he's not bothering me? Am I not serving the Lord like I should and doing the things I should so that he don't have to work about, worry about me? There's a sermon I preached here once, that, does the devil know your name? And that's, a, I won't even know who I am. I don't like wrestling with him. But I want to be vital enough in my walk with Jesus Christ that he says, takes notice and said, man, I got to do something to stop that guy. And by the way, he can't through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can always overcome him. It is an internal change where we will not ever be tempted and we will not ever sin again. Hallelujah. Hey, you say that again, brother. Hallelujah. Listen, listen, why is that? Because we're getting ready to go to a marvelous place called heaven, the kingdom of God, and there is no sin allowed there. Uh, it is going to be perfected. Now, he's allowing Satan to do certain things, but that's going to come to an end. And so, 
he, we, we are changed externally, and we are changed internally. A marvelous event. Now, real quick, as quick as I can, I want to uh, talk about the second thing, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a whole book written about that. Uh, last book in the Bible, because it's the last, speaks of end times and last things. And uh, we need to understand some things about that. Uh, if you go to the book of Matthew in several places, Jesus talks about signs. The signs he talks about are connected to the second coming. And the signs are for those who remain, and they're really for Israel. And we'll get to that in a moment. Here's what Daniel says about it in the seventh chapter. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And then to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So one like the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, he comes before the Ancient of Days, the Heavenly Father. He gives him full authority and power over all things and all the future. So we need to understand that that event is the end of history and time as we know it. And it follows certain other things. We've talked about the rapture. That's an important one for us to understand in the church. It talks about, uh, Revelation talks about the seven-year outpouring of God's wrath, the great tribulation. The Holy Spirit's gone. The church is gone. Uh, the redeemed have been taken away. And so God's wrath is no longer restrained against the earth and he begins to pour out his wrath on sinful man. Not as punishment, but as hope that there will be repentance. Punishment's going to come. But he is trying to draw men to himself. And during that time, he will particularly be interested in Israel. Uh, if you read the book of Revelation, there's 144,000 witnesses. They're not Jehovah Witnesses. They are out of the tribes of Israel, 12,000 out of each tribe, and they are preaching the message of God. Uh, he'll send two message, messengers of Moses and Elijah, most likely, uh, and they will preach to God's people. And many of the Israelites will finally realize that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And there'll be a great returning to Him. They will be effective in their preaching, but they will be martyred for their preaching. Then, when that is accomplished, at the end of that seven years, Christ returns physically to earth and stands on the earth. The Scripture says, I think it's Ezekiel, He comes on the Mount of Olives, Implicit, there's a valley where there was never a valley before. And he is here physically. Uh, and so there's several parts to that too. It, it, uh, his final triumph over evil. Let's go to Revelation. I did, you, you preach, I preached 26 sermons when I preached through Revelation. So it's hard to get through. Uh, he says, now I saw heaven and op uh, open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had the name written that no one knew except himself. 
He was clothed with a robe of blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen and white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword with which he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. He's coming back to take over. To take over. And if you have not accepted him as Lord and Savior, if you're not among those who have been redeemed, it is not going to be good. And the interesting thing is, as you read that passage, it is not going to be a long battle. Get that in your mind. It is not going to be a long battle. Uh, what does the scripture say begin in Genesis 1? In the beginning, God, and he created. And as you follow that through, how did he do it? He said, let there be light. Let there be firmament. He simply spoke everything we know into existence. Now you talk about power, that is power. And the word is revealed to John that when he returns to fight against the armies of Satan and sinful and lost man, there won't be any battle at all because he'll just speak and it will be over. Done. Finitae. That's uh, omega. The end. And, and it is important for us to understand that and, and to know that, that after that there will be a final judgment. I'm going to try to hurry here. In the 20th chapter, uh, those who uh, don't know him as Lord and Savior will be judged. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. Said you can't get away from that judgment. You can try. You think you can run and hide, but you can't. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up her dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then the death of, and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Devil and death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The judgment is pretty simple. Review of all the works. But judgment is based on, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you accepted him as Lord and Savior? Is your name in the book of life because you put your belief and trust in him. If you didn't, then you're cast away forever. And then 2021, everything becomes new. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down to heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And God wiped away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he sat on the throne, behold, I make all things new. 
right? For these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to he who thirsts. Remember what Jesus said on Calvary at the very end? He said, it is finished. That meant the atoning work for your sins and mine was completed on Calvary. Now we find here in, the, in Revelation, John is told uh, that, that there's a new heaven and a new earth, and he, he is told that, that, that it is complete. God's work is complete from creation to redemption to a new heaven and a new earth where those who belong to him will gloriously live with him forever. Now, that's, that's Revelation real quick. Okay, um, so here's what Paul says in verse 20, back to Philippians 3. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Anticipation. That goes hand in hand with the word watch. If you're watching for something, you're anticipating. Some things we watch for and we dread. But the return of Christ for the believer should be a time of anticipation that, my goodness, it's all going to work out in the end. God is going to be eternally triumph, and I'm going to live forever in Him without sorrow, without sadness, without sin, or the consequence of sin. If, uh, Luke 12, 35. He said, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourself, this is Jesus, you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. First of all, recognize your citizenship. Now, I'm assuming everybody in this room is a citizen of the United States of America with the right to vote. That's a great thing. I'm very proud of that. I have not missed voting in election since I was first eligible to vote in election until this spring and I didn't vote in the primary. That's a, and it was that evening I had a hard time because I, I'd never missed a voting before. And it's great. I'm proud to be a part of this country, born and raised here. But I have a citizenship that supersedes that. It is my citizenship in the kingdom of God. And as Christians, we march to a different tune than the world. And it affects what we do as citizens of this country. Should affect, <clears throat> affect your stand on abortion. Should affect your stand on many, many things. And you should vote accordingly. Uh, but always remember that our primary loyalty is to God the Father. Uh, it, 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 he is the one to whom we pledge our ultimate and complete and final allegiance. You see, 
there's a lot of talk of, of, about people being children of God, but I want to explain something to you. If you're not saved, you're a creation of God. You're made in God's image with a free will and, and ability to choose, but you are not a child of God until you're baptized through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ into the family of God through redemption. Redemption is the forgiveness of our sins because we believe, we admit that we're sinners, we believe that Christ died for us, and we confess Him as Lord. Uh, and Peter says, 1 Peter 2, I think uh, it's actually 1 Peter 3, uh, he said we should revel in those differences. Uh, he says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. He said, listen, even if life's hard and they persecute you, you're blessed because you believe in Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you, you of the reason for the hope that is within you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good condition in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for de doing evil. He said, look, always be ready to tell the, tell the lost and dying world why you do what you do, why you think like you think, why you live like you live, why there's things you will do, things you won't do. He said, oh, and the joy shows, and in the midst of difficulty and trouble, Sunday after next we're going to talk about persecution. In the midst of that, you can still be joyous in Christ Jesus. And he said, you need to be ready always to tell people why that is. Peter said, we are a peculiar people who are the people of God. We were not a people, but he has called us into his marvelous, glorious light that we might be different, peculiar from the world. And when the world notices that and has a question about it, we should be prepared to physically say, Here's why. Amen. I believe in a hill called Mount Calvary. And to talk about Jesus Christ and what he has done in your life. Everybody in this room that's a Christian has a testimony. You know what you were, you know what happened, and you know what you are now Amen. because of what he did. Amen. That's citizenship. Realize that we have a purpose. We go back to Mark 13. We were there, I think, earlier. Well, let's see that. But of that day and hour, no one knows. And so Jesus has talked about that as he's talked about the fact that nobody knows when this is going to happen, uh, when Christ is coming. But as he goes on with that, as he talks about that, uh, he, <clears throat> uh, he, he talks about that fact and he says uh, that we should be prepared. Watch, therefore, for you do not win the, know when the master of the house is coming. So we realize that we have a twofold purpose that Christ talked about. Number one, we pray. Pray for lost people. Pray for the kingdom of God. Pray for your church. Pray for your witness. Secondly, we watch. We're prepared. 
Be about God's work, proclaiming God's love. Be living examples of God's redeeming power. That's what it means when we say we want to serve for the next hundred years or until Jesus comes. Uh, it is a certainty that it's going to happen. It's going to happen in a certain order. And the key for us is to understand nobody, nobody knows. And the purpose for that is so that we will watch and pray and be about the business of God today. Not wait until tomorrow or the day before we think he's coming, but every day walking in the way of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have a plan. We thank you that that plan was set in motion before the foundation of the world. Thanks again for joining us for another service with Grace Baptist Church. Connect with us using the social media links on our website, gbcevansville.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week.